back, folks, to episode 28 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, PhD in health psychology, and also a licensed professional counselor and adjunct professor at a local community college. So today, what we're going to be discussing relative to self-regulatory skills and self-improvement has to do with certain mindsets and lenses that we use, how we see things, how we filter uh, things that we're taking in as useful information or potentially determining whether or not something is not useful to us when we're judging and adjudicating things. And often our emotional opinions can get in the way of seeing things as they are versus seeing them through the spin that we give them that may or may not be accuracy enhancing. So without further delay, the principal topic is going to be making the dangerous beautiful and making the beautiful dangerous as a practice. Now, this is something that uh, the late Dr. Glenn Morris, uh, author who um, I'm enamored of in the sense that uh, his books and writings have given me much with which to guide my life with. And, and he was a PhD level psychologist and a very high ranking martial artist. But amongst those things, he was a real human being. And I had the good fortune of speaking to him on the phone uh, twice. Uh, I never had a chance to meet him in person, but we exchanged uh, letters and emails for many years. And he is one of the primary reasons I got into higher education and uh, worked my way out of retail. And over a period of 20 some odd years, I got the education that I wanted. And that's completing my PhD back uh, in May 2022 and getting into academia in addition to clinical work that I was doing. So if anything, I owe him a great debt of gratitude, not only for the fact that he wrote the books that he did that impacted my life in a positive way, but also because of the content within his books, it was truly a gift that kept on giving and it continues to. And these are things that uh, shape not only the way I see things, but also cut down on my learning curve in the sense that uh, it was much steeper at the beginning, but uh, also got me to a point of gaining higher skill in a number of disciplines that I was very happy with. And I continue to show growth that even I can note as a result of using these ideas and principles and guidelines. But this one, making the beautiful dangerous and making the dangerous beautiful, uh, had to do with martial arts in particular. And I will reference that, but we will make the bridge into practical self-regulatory skills here in just a moment. But uh, whenever we look at somebody doing what is called a martial methodology, whether it be with a weapon, a staff, or a sword, being moved through the space with very controlled body movements with great precision, alacrity, and and uh, speed and control. And sometimes there's a great deal of physical talent that goes on with that. And there's definitely something indicative of how much time had gone into achieving a level of physical mastery, mental and emotional mastery to do whatever it is that we may see to bring it to a level of skillful execution that it looks artistic, that it looks graceful, maybe even looks easy. Now, this is where time is a component. And I remember speaking to a man that had told me that he'd been very skilled at learning how to pitch a baseball 
and that people would constantly tell him, much to his chagrin and irritation, that that looks so easy when you throw that ball. And in the back of his mind, he knew how many hours he'd packed behind learning how to throw with such great skill that it made it look as if it was done with ease, when in actuality it was just a high degree of execution, founded on a large number of hours of toil and practice and discipline, self-discipline. And this is along the lines of what we're going to be paying attention to, that that isn't the obvious and not taking things as they seem, but looking deeper and thinking a little deeper as to what might be driving that or what might be the reason that things look the way they look, allowing ourselves to see through the lens a little more deeply, a little more into that subtle occulted aspect that gets forgotten or not recognized as a result of us being wowed by what we see on the front. Sometimes camouflage is very, very compelling and gets us to believe things to be whenever they really aren't. And uh, this is something that out of the ninja school that Dr. Morris trained in, uh, he trained in a number of arts, but um, Toga Kuro Ninjutsu under Hatsumi, who is still alive, by the way, their, their headmaster. Um, and many of the teachings, he said, came from a very natural way of doing things, founded on many hours of toll and practice, of course. But these are all things that applied not just to fighting, but rather looking as if, sometimes not being someone or something that might stand out, but looking just so, so anyone would walk by and, hey, you're the fishmonger, you're the newspaper person, maybe you're the person that's delivering packages while gathering information. Now, this isn't about spies in particular, but in that sense, this is what the depth of these principles come from, such that they had to be useful whenever your life depended on it, and when all sorts and all sources may have been turned against you or looking for you, and you couldn't afford to be found out, so to speak. And in that vein, sometimes whenever we socialize, when we interact at work, when we interact at home, there are times that we need to know when it's okay to divulge information, when to let our guard down, so to speak, whenever our assumption of safety is met, so we can increase our chances of minimizing anxiety, getting our buttons pushed, getting angry, these sorts of things that actually indicate that we're losing a sense of self-control. And we start buying into the illusion of lack of control of what's outside of us, which we don't always have. We have influence. But it becomes much more acute and much more difficult to put up with and stand within ourselves and in our mind the way we hold it whenever we're stressful. Because if we look back to the human stress model, the running man model, Whenever our stress goes up, blood flow leaves the front part of the brain. That means what? Our higher cognition gets compromised. That means I can't think as deeply about things, and I certainly can't reason into them, and I can't see things sometimes as they are versus what my opinion or my feelings are, especially I have fear or a sense of fear of loss. Now I'm stuck in what's happening right now that's uncomfortable and fearing what's coming in the future, and this is a really deep thing that we have to pay attention to relative to these principles. One of the things that we don't realize is that whatever is happening right now, generally speaking, it doesn't have any meaning in the next moment. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a guarantee of carryover of meaning in that moment. 
So being aware of the right now is really very important to be in the moment versus worrying about the next moment without having gotten there by being unaware and sensitive to what was going on in the right now. So just an important point to the detail right now. Now, as far as the principle, making the beautiful dangerous and the dangerous beautiful, whenever you see somebody, back to the martial arts example, that becomes very skillful. Or whenever you see something like a very highly skilled gymnast doing a floor routine or the high bar routine, uh, the parallel bars or uneven bars, whenever you see somebody that's doing a high dive with a great deal of skill and control, and you see them enter and you note the athleticism, there's been work behind it. No one really speaks it, but that's what it is. And those are dangerous things. Were we to jump off a high dive, average person, even if we were just to jump with our feet down, we still run the risk of injury because we don't know how necessarily to address the impact with the water that is very hard at the speed that they drop, especially if you drop like a bullet downward. So some things to consider. Is that dangerous is the question. And in the sense of competition, have they made an effort to make the skill beautiful? Is it beautiful to look at? And I would say yes. In the martial sense of protection, whenever you see somebody that trains, like I do in stick knife fighting, and you see things move very quickly, but the hands, when slowed down, you see that there's a great deal of precision and alacrity of movement and speed that otherwise, if you don't slow it down, you don't always see what's going on. But the beauty is in being able to stop the knife or stop the stick from making impact with you. The beauty is in the protection and the defense. So you're making the dangerous, beautiful, dangerous meeting, having to defend against something that could potentially harm you, even in training. Training accidents happen sometimes. But also making it beautiful in the sense that it is executed in a way that is highly skilled and very effective. And beauty isn't always in the eye of the beholder, but rather in the concept of what the beholder may be thinking about that is protecting yourself, not getting punctured or or percussed with a stick or a bat, this sort of thing. So what about making the beautiful dangerous? What is that? The inverse of the first part, making the dangerous beautiful. Well, this is where nature speaks to us. Whenever we see pictures from National Geographic or, or nature photographers, what are some dangerous things that are beautifully colored? Nature has a way of speaking with a great deal of compelling influence. Whenever you see the little frogs in the Amazon that are highly poisonous, that we call, in quotes, the poison dark frogs, because the Amazon Indians, the aboriginals, rub their darts for their blowguns on the backs of the little turtles, uh, not turtles, but rather the frogs, and sometimes even carry them just to make sure that they have it in effect there to reload, so to speak, so they can have that paralyzing effect, the curare effect. So those are important things. Whenever nature speaks to us, what is it that tells us that things aren't to be touched, aren't dangerous? Some of the things that we put out that we call safety for OSHA standards in the United States, um, like something that shows a hand getting shocked if you touch this, or a hand getting hurt, or 
or there being electricity there versus the words and verbiage they do it in pictures. And uh, you will see electric fences being posted with uh, a hand touching the electric fence and getting injured or, or burnt or hurt. Uh, these are things that in Texas, if we have cattle and they have electric fences, they have to post if they're near rural areas that have roads where there may be children or people going by there not knowing otherwise. But the picture of what is dangerous sometimes will give us the message without so many words. And nature doesn't speak in words in that sense, but rather the colors that is going to get the most attention, the brightest. These are the reds and the yellows and the glistening, beautiful greens and oranges and stuff that say, don't touch me. A skunk has a really bright white stripe down its back, sometimes a couple of stripes. And I will tell you very honestly, I think skunks are beautiful creatures. They're, nah, I'm not going to tell you they smell good. They do not. But they're just phenomenal little creatures. And they're slow little graceful way to go about their business looking cute. and They're really nice to observe at a distance, but usually from inside of a vehicle where you have air conditioning because that smell can get a little bad if they've unloaded any time around the time you're observing them. Uh, but also, this is nature's display without necessarily showing aggression. Nature's display without aggression, but rather one that speaks not in body language, but it's symbolic and also something that we call colorations that would get our attention. And this is not too far removed from pareidolia where we see patterns that may seem like things that they're not, like the large moths that have golden circularity on each wing that look like uh, owl's eyes that would keep them from being preyed upon by prey birds or uh, predators like an owl or an eagle, this sort of thing. So these colors, they speak a message. Now, as far as human behavior and self-regulatory behavior, this is a self-regulation induction. This tells you, no, don't, don't do this. This is nature's version of the big red circle with that diagonal red line going through it that says no, say no to drugs, say no to this, say no to that. That's nature's version. Is the really bright color. So why is this important to self-regulatory skills? In the social sense, there are times when people will often dress themselves relative to how they feel. This isn't anything new. Whenever we hear about people wanting to dress themselves in a way so they feel good, so they feel good-looking, so they feel pretty, so they feel strong, sometimes they have an unspoken stress within them, often there are people that uh, I have experienced that are aggressive in tendency that tend to have heavy metal shirts or things like um, demonic or ugly things that indicate this is what I align with. doesn't mean that, that they are that. They may just like the art, but often there are those that do not feel like they can communicate their speak or what their heart may carry or their mind may carry. So therefore, they use the art or their shirts to do the speaking for them. I've known a few people, and this isn't nothing negative against somebody that has body art, but uh, there are those that cannot communicate the depth of what they feel and often will, will do the artistic rendition on their arm, especially in remembrance of lost loved ones. But we have to speak about this in the sense of it being a reflection of nature. 
And usually these art images have a really deep meaning for people. And at some point, they can't speak to you any further than what they're showing you and tell me I remember them this way. No disrespect there. This is just merely a parallel I'm drawing. I love body art, by the way. I'm not somebody that does tattoos for myself, but I certainly appreciate the art and the extreme exquisite skill involved in getting that, and I, I appreciate looking at it. But um, I will tell you that making the dangerous beautiful is something that we have to pay attention to, because often even the way we dress and the way we act are equivalences of this principle that nature has brought about to signal or indicate danger or risk. So what are some things, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question here, of course you can't answer me during the podcast, but something to self-question about. What things do I do? What things do I say sometimes that will indicate to somebody that you're not to do this? Don't corner me. Don't push me. And notice my tone changed a little bit because sometimes it is with these indicators on the external that if we get tired of saying it, we will indicate it by sometimes being terse, being short, being aggressive, sometimes not making eye contact or ignoring people if we can. Because we don't want to deal with the eventuality of an actual physical, physical altercation. But there's some things that we have to pay attention to that have to do with, well, how am I reading this, and am I reading it correctly, and what is it that might be causing me to feel uncomfortable? Is it them, or is it me feeling like I don't have control or a sense of safety? In the physical sense, distance is time, in the 3D sense, not in the quantum sense, of course, but if we have a way to keep somebody at a distance, that gives us advantage, gives us time by default, and gives us an opportunity to have enough safety and maintain enough of our blood flow, our capacity to be able to reason and think and strategize our way out of something or away from something before things ever become something to be worried about. So strategically very sound sometimes how we dress, how we act, are the equivalents of making the dangerous beautiful. And part of the magnetic making the dangerous beautiful is a strategic in the sense that if somebody puts stress on somebody and let's say they, they want to leave, but we don't want them to go out a certain door, we leave a certain other door that we do want them to leave through to be unobstructed. And if we look back into history, there are times wherever generals have left a point of egress for people that were at war. This is merely a principle of Sun Tzu's Art of War that says that if you're going to have a fracas with somebody or a disagreement, you also have to leave them a way out. You don't want to go into total destruction mode because just like when somebody tells you, don't corner me, don't back me up, once again, this is the equivalent of nature saying, I am dangerous, I'm shining, I'm bright, pay attention, don't do this, you get too close, you're going to get hurt. Whenever we're in an argument, leave somebody the opportunity to leave with dignity. Try not to get into the perspective of, well, they got into a fight with me, and therefore that gives me license to destroy them and squash them. Leave them an opportunity to egress with dignity. Allow them to leave. Try not to follow. If you're the type that gets angry and if somebody turns away from you 
and you have that natural inclination to put your hand over their shoulder and turn them around, that is dangerous because that is physical aggression. That's also assault. But understand that if somebody feels cornered or like they're being trapped like prey, which that is a predator behavior whenever we start chasing, and this not, does not speak well of domestic situations where people have this catch-22 that just because we're in a relationship or because we're married, I can control you. And how dare you leave whenever we have stuff on the table that we're arguing about. The argument is not more important. Safety is primary. But when we get that angry, we're not thinking very clearly. And this is why I'm putting this out, because this does have a great carryover into domesticity. And whenever we start moving towards aggression and potential for physical violence. And this can be prevented. We have the signs. Nature teaches us the signs. Now I'm going to show you a little transfer training from the human stress model that has to do with what we look like when we're angry and stress that will tie right into this because it it is about the dangerous looking shiny and bright and ind indicating to us beyond the noise and the words and the agitation. The blood flow to the skin when people get angry. Even people that have darker skin can be shown to flush. They have more blood flow to the skin that becomes more red, shiny, and bright. And often we will see tension and even veins popping up. But the, the redness of the face is an indicator. Not unlike the bugs out in the Amazon that are really shiny, that are poisonous, or, or snakes that are venomous, that have bright markings, kind of like the coral snake. And whenever we get particularly upset, that redness goes to the face goes to the hands, and you might note that the body shift changes and the shoulders round, and there is almost a coiling for action moving forward. When things truly get to the point that there is no turning back, and this is where somebody not only feels cornered, but they feel like they can't run. They weren't left a point of egress where they could walk away. Noisily saying bad words, yes, so what? As long as it's words and it's not physical aggression, you will be okay. The idea is to let them have a space to leave with dignity to be able to walk out of their own volition. Because whenever that red turns to a white flush, that means the blood flow leaves the front part of the face. That means blood flow is, are, are, is now being shunted away from the peripherals. This includes the hands and arms. That's why whenever people have amputations or deep cuts, they don't bleed initially. Blood flow is going to the torso and being shunted away from the area of injury. And that face goes from red to white. At that point, you have somebody that's absolutely lower brain reactive and is going to strike if they haven't already. If you have the luxury of seeing that and stepping back, that's a good thing. That's whenever you don't want to be doing aggressive behaviors. That's whenever you may want to just be quiet. And you can choose to not say anything or add more. So... In that sense, we have discovered some tools within the principles of making the beautiful dangerous. Making the dangerous beautiful. And sometimes making something attractive along the lines of making a choice that otherwise would not be considered attractive. But it is now the default and the only one. Sometimes we have to at least let them have that one even if it's egress. 
even if it's not the most beneficial. Whenever a choice becomes attractive, that means all other things aren't as available or as useful or as beneficial. May not be the only one. Whenever we have criminals that give up, give themselves up to the law versus being killed, that's an option. Or being shot up or beat up, that's an option too with resistance. Or going without resistance and being arrested, then you can keep your life and live. You might be in jail. But that became the most attractive option, the one that was least painful. Whenever certain options become attractive, that means we've had our choices narrowed. Sometimes it's a natural progression of things. Sometimes in the sense that things become too late and fewer options are available. Or maybe we are put into a position that we have no other choice. Just simply because of the way things progressed or maybe things fell off the table as a result of communication and not going in the right way. In another way of viewing this, if you take into consideration when somebody becomes skillful that they're now considered dangerous because you know knowledge is power, that's making the dangerous beautiful. And that's also making the opportunity to learn and become better attractive so that you can become, if not dangerous, effective, more effective. Increase in self-efficacy, being able to do for yourself and become more independent, that's an attractive option. Not being in your own power is not as attractive. So in that sense, this is an application of the principles as well. And please think with this. And I want to tell you, thank you for sharing time with me. And I want to extend my thanks once again to the late Dr. Glenn Morris. And I want to say thank you for your time and your patience and listening to this. And I'm hoping that you know people that can benefit from this. Share this with them. Follow, like, share. And once again, thank you for being with me today. And uh, I want to tell you I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And all the best. Walk well.